What does bear all things mean when Paul was talking about loving others from the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13? Love is this and that and a whole lot of things, and love bears all things, Paul said. Am I supposed to permit or endure others to do what they want to do with me? Is this a Grant and Barrett theology of love? When preachers quote the love chapter at weddings, it sounds nice, but what about when the honeymoon is over and the marriage becomes hard? What does bearing all things mean? A weak view of love will damage your relationships. That's the title of this podcast, and I'm glad you're listening in. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for Your Daily Drive. This is the podcast where I put my articles in audio format. I am glad that you are here. And again, if you want to read this article, you can go right to our website and you can do that. The title, A Weak View of Love Will Damage Your Relationships. This question was put to me, and it's such a good question because, well, it's not the first time that I've received it. People ask something like this all the time because we... We probably have been inundated more than we realize about this idea of love from our culture, and it, it can be a, 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 a sloppy, uh, snowflake kind of love that really doesn't have any bite into it. Love is much bigger than that. It is much broader, but if you don't understand it, like this idea of bearing all things from the love chapter, it can really be problematic. So I would encourage you to read this article, and of course I, I want you to share it with 1,000 of your closest friends, and, and that would be great. Uh, we have just launched our new website, and I want to uh, let you know that we do have a few requests for folks who are interested in our Mastermind program, and what I did is I built an LMS for you, for those of you who want to check out the information about the Mastermind program. An LMS is a learning management system. Now, our entire school is on an LMS. We, we use that for the actual Mastermind program. But we have an information page that is also built out in a miniature LMS, and it answers all of your questions about our Mastermind course. And so if you go to the Receive Help link on our website, if you would hover over that link, what you will see is there will be a drop-down. And in that drop-down, one of the links that you can click on is called Mastermind Info. And if you click on Mastermind Info, it will take you right to our little small LMS, and you can start working through it. And it will answer all of your questions about our online training now, after you read through all of that information and listen to the podcast, read the frequently asked questions as well. There's quite a few of those. And if you still have questions, then write in to us and, and let us know what those questions are, and we'll be glad to answer them for you. But look for the LMS under Mastermind Info. It's under the Receive Help drop-down on our website, and we would love for you to consider our program. It is, it's inspirational, but it's also transformational. It will change your life. 
A weak view of love will damage your relationships. You know the love chapter from 1 Corinthians 13, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Paul finishes this little section in the first part of verse number eight. Love never ends. Love can do a lot of things, but if you don't understand love correctly, then you could find yourself in a significant trap that could not only hurt you, but it can hurt those who are around you. Some people will ask questions, and I've heard it like this, like, wait a cotton picking minute. My husband is a jerk. What am I to do? Love bears all things. And then a husband comes back with, my wife is a victimized nag. What do I do? And then my working brother will say, I've got you both beat. My so-called Christian co-worker is such a knucklehead. What am I to do? All three of these people are collectively saying, are you saying all we need is love? Are we called to grin and bear it because Paul told the Corinthians that they are to bear all things in this love chapter? These questions that I'm laying out for you are excellent questions. Let me give you the quick answer to every one of them. It is a resounding no. See, first of all, the letter to the Corinthians is a corrective letter. Do you hear that? Corrective letter. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, is inside of a corrective letter. Paul was addressing their sin issues. He was not ignoring their sin. And whatever interpretation or version or definition of love that you have, if it ignores sin, then there's something wrong with your definition of love. In the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he was not commending them for their great love, but he was rebuking them because they were not modeling the love of Christ as he laid out for them. You have to be careful that you don't confuse or misapply what Paul was doing. He was telling them that love bears all things as he was lovingly confronting them. The entire two books or two letters to the Corinthians they are confrontational letters. There is no question about his loving confrontation of the Corinthians. You could go just go right into this passage of scripture. Read chapter 12 and 13 and 14 and and look for the confrontation. Paul was a confronting person and that's where this love chapter is and so when you misapply this and and cut out all the confrontation and pull 1 Corinthians 13 out and use it in a wedding, which is just fine. It's sentimental and it's nice and it's appropriate. But there will come a time when the honeymoon will be over and your love needs to be expansive enough, comprehensive enough to where you can help your spouse or or anyone. It is never loving to sit by and watch someone sin. 
I want to illustrate this for you in an analogous way. Several years ago, when my son was much younger, he dropped a weightlifting disc on his big toe in the garage, meaning the weightlifting disc and the cement of the garage was the sandwich and his toe was what was inside. And when that disc dropped on his toe against the concrete, he screamed bloody murder as the end of his toe was partially torn. We've always wondered with our son if he would ever make it out of childhood alive. There were so many instances. He is a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. He's a doing guy, a working guy, moving guy, always moving. Uh, I tell people he was right after birth. He was walking upright. The others are not as quite as mobile, not as quite quick to jump up and and to do whatever, whether it's climbing a tree or running out in front of a car or dropping a weightlifting disc on his toe. Well, as of this podcast, he's 16 and he's alive and and doing well. And I thank God that he he made it out of childhood. Always a concern because he was always getting into things because his curiosity was was pretty strong, which I am thankful for. I am quite thankful. It's easier to reel someone in than it is to motivate someone, and he's always been highly motivated. But in in this instance, he he dropped this disc on his toe and he was screaming. Now, at that moment, there was nothing more important in our home than grabbing him up in my arms and holding him while bringing immediate medical attention to his big toe. And you can read into that, that immediate medical attention, uh, attention hurt him to some degree, as most medical attention in situations like that will hurt. That was love. Nobody was going to deter us from serving our boy because he was physically suffering. Now, from a Christian worldview, it would be unloving to allow someone to continue to hurt themselves or to hurt others by sinning when you can do something about it. I remember a couple of lady or a older lady, I've shared this story before, but an older lady came to me years ago at our local church and she was having a dust up with another older lady and she wanted me to do something about it. She had a pretty decent view of love. She loved her friend enough to want somebody to do something for her to go and talk to her, but her love wasn't broad enough because she was putting it on me. Will you go and talk to her? And because I knew her, we had a relationship, I could talk somewhat directly to her, and I said no. In fact, I went on to say, what, what is it about go in the Great Commission that you're stumbling over? Go and make disciples. You have someone who is converted here. The rest of the Great Commission is to teach them. Jesus said, teach them all that I have taught you. There's obviously something missing in her life. That go did not mean go to your pastor, go to the counseling guy, go to another person that's not directly the person that needs the help. That's not what go meant in the Great Commission. And as I shared those things with her, she she understood. And, and the deal was, as you already know, she struggled with fear of man. 
And so she was passing the buck. She was going to let somebody do. She was going to let somebody love this lady, but she was not going to love her correctly. And that's what I was saying is that she had a pretty decent view of love, but it wasn't quite big enough from a Christian worldview. It would be unloving to allow someone to continue to hurt themselves or to hurt others by sinning when you can do something about it. Paul did not shrink back from correcting a wayward brother, or in this case, a disobedient church. He perfectly modeled love. If sin needs your confrontation, you will mock the gospel if you don't do anything about it. And that's why it's imperative that if you struggle this way with correcting someone, then you have to go back to the gospel. You need to go back to the source of the problem, and there is something breaking down in your understanding and application of the gospel in your life. And so if there's a situation that you need to deal with and you don't do, deal with it, you are you're mocking the gospel. You see, Christ died on the cross for the evil that is in humanity, you and me. And because of his death, his resurrection, his ongoing work, there is the possibility of the forgiveness of sins. For the first time in the history of humanity, there is a solution to our sin. It, it would be like having the, uh, the answer to whatever the problem is in life, but yet you don't activate the answer to solve the problem. That would be mocking the answer. Don't you think it would be loving to bring an erring brother to the only person who can freely pardon, cleanse, forgive, and restore that person to God? Let me go back to my son when he dropped that disc on his toe. From our backyard, I can see our local hospital. You can. We live that close. It wasn't by design. I have thought about it. Actually, the hospital wasn't here when we moved here. But after we moved, they built the hospital. I didn't like it initially, but now that I'm older, it's kind of it's kind of cool. I can walk to the hospital or we can get there quickly or in this instance with with my son when he dropped the thing the disc on the toe, it, it only took a half a second to get him to the hospital. I've told my children that that uh, the par- their parents, our bedroom, Rick and Lucia's bedroom is on the the back side of the house, and so through our window, you can see across the way, you could see the hospital, and so in my old age, I'm going to ask the folks at the hospital if they'll give me a room on the back side so that I can see my house from the hospital. You literally can see that. And so from our backyard, it's, it's that close, and when he injured his toe, I didn't hesitate to take him there. The most loving thing we could do for him in that critical time was finding help. Off to the hospital, we went. It would be really weird to look at the hospital, and it's right there in view, and we would not take advantage of this means of grace. It would be like mocking the hospital. And that's what I meant, that if we don't exercise this means of grace that we have in the gospel, it would be like mocking the gospel, all that Christ did. 
I want to come back to this idea of bearing up because it is a big deal and we do we do misapply it. I have another article on our website where I'm walking through what Paul was saying in Ephesians 5 that you are supposed to obey your husband in every way. And I had a lady write in one time and she asked, does that mean in every way? I mean, it's what it looks like. But if you pull it out of context, and you can read the article if you wish, but if you pull it out of context, well, yeah, you obey your husband in every way, but you have to contextualize it within that text and within the Bible. Well, common sense would say that that you would not obey your husband in every way. What if he told you to go shoot somebody or a zillion other things? There's wisdom issues here. There's not only interpretive issues with the Bible, if we isolate a text and make it mean what we want it to mean, which is called eisegesis, it's an idea in search of a text, in search of a verse. And so if a husband has this idea, I want my wife to obey me, well then I'm going to, with that idea, I'm going to go into Ephesians 5, and I'm going to pull that little snippet out where it says obey in every way, And then I'm going to shoot it off to her in a text or verbally. I'm going to make sure that she gets it so that she can obey me in every way. That's eisegesis. That's that's having an idea in search of a verse to prove the idea because you have something that you want. And we can do the same thing with to bear all things. I mean, if you pull it out and look at it in a vacuum, it, it sounds like bear all things. To bear all things means that true agape love in your heart and life will enable you to bear under the weight of whatever is going on in your life. It doesn't mean that you have to take everything. It it does mean that you can bear up by the grace of God with whatever is going on in your life. It's similar to what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 13, that there's no temptation taking you. But God has given you a way of escape that you can endure these things. You can bear up under it. But it doesn't mean that you're supposed to tolerate other people's sins. That's weird. That makes no sense. And so if someone came and to your home and they took something off your porch or worse, they your, your child was playing in the front yard and they just hit your child. Just hit your child. And you take this verse here and you say, well, I'm just, I'm supposed to bear up under that because love bears all things. Now, what that means is, is that you would be able to endure this situation. You'll be able to bear up under it, not be overcome by it. But it also means that you're going to activate. You're going to go and do something about it, and you will be able to bear up under that as well as you rebuke this person or prosecute this person or whatever that needs to be done in this situation. All of you are going through things that you have bared up under or you are bearing up under at this time because you're in something difficult But it doesn't mean that you resign yourself to what will be, will always be, and I am a passive person, and and I will not do anything about it. No, maybe you should do something about it. But, But that 
is not talking about bearing all things. As you do something about it, you will be supported by the grace of God as these things are happening to you. You have the love of God in you, and you will be able to bear all things, whatever is laid upon your back. It would contradict the Word of God while marginalizing the gospel to see someone living in sin and not do anything about it. A person who has been rightly affected by the gospel can live out this kind of love, but to extract the love chapter from its context and place it in a wedding ceremony has probably done a disservice to the church. Paul did not believe or practice this kind of sentimental love. Those of you who have been reading my stuff for a while, you know that that I've had two brothers who were murdered 10 years apart. You also probably know something about uh, my family background, which was horrific to say the least. Well, I will, I will tell you that without question that I've been able to bear up under all of these things that the Lord has written into the narrative of my life. Love can bear all things. Before I experienced the love of God in my life and before he began to transform me from the inside out, I could not bear those things. I was diminishing by the day. I had the incredible shrinking soul because these things were eating away at me and I could not bear up under what was happening. But then after regeneration, God has given me a, a, a love that I did not possess before, and it has given me a strength to bear up under the circumstances of life, but that doesn't make me a passive recipient of the things that have happened or the things that are happening in my life. I am to be active in God's world and responding to the things that are going on. And as I do that, I will bear up under those actions. The love that Paul believed and modeled and taught was the same love that motivated a holy God to execute his son on a cruel tree. For God so loved the world. Think about that in context. Love, the love of God. God is love, as John continues to tell us in another of his letters. God is a loving God, and because he loves, he did something profound. He executed his son on a cruel tree. When that kind of love rivets your soul, you are not only equipped to hold a quiet crying son in your arms, but you're ready and you're motivated to bring corrective love to an erring brother. The title of this podcast is A Weak View of Love Will Damage Your Relationships. I have some articles that are embedded here, as we do with all of our articles, because the desire here is, is for you to take these articles and, and not just read them briskly, and move on to the next thing. No, these articles are, are written. They are, are thought out. I invest a lot of time in them, and it's not meant to be a, a one-off to get you through this day. 
In fact, we tell people regularly when they ask that what I want you to do is to study this article, that you spend time meditating on it. And you can read this one. There's three more. Actually, there's more. There's others embedded along the way in this article, but there are three at the very top. And I would encourage you to take them as well and do that. Take the time that you need. Unfortunately, when when people write into us and ask questions, they don't say this. And I, I'm not saying they think this necessarily in such an overt, volitional way, but there's a part of them that's wanting them to, that's wanting their problem to go away quickly. And that's just not how it happens. Rarely, it can, but most of the time it doesn't. And you're going to have to take time, lots of time praying, agonizing with God, asking Him to to do whatever work that needs to be done, whether it's in them or in you. Now, with that in mind, I have a call to action here that I would love for you to reflect upon, to study. The first question is, as you reflect upon this article, how have your thoughts about love changed I hope for the majority of you, some of you are already there, but I hope for the majority of you that your understanding of love has expanded a bit, that it also encompasses correction. Now, some of you have a hollowed view of love. It's it's hollowed out to where it's missing compassion. It's missing a kindness. Your love doesn't have a, a kindness to it. It's a hollowed-out love. Some people's love is not expansive big enough to where they want to do corrective care. And then some people is, is gutted to where they will do corrective care. It's like tying or, or taping a note on, a, on an arrow, a bow and arrow, on an arrow and just launching it at someone. Here's the note. Catch this. No, love It is corrective and confrontational, but it is also compassionate. So as you reflect upon this podcast, how have your thoughts about love changed? Second question, is there someone you need to correct? There's someone in your sphere of influence that you need to correct. What hinders you from bringing corrective love to them? You don't want to be like that older lady that I was talking about earlier, She had a a good size understanding of love, but not big enough. It was large enough to where she saw a situation, a friend who was struggling with a sin issue, but she didn't want to deal with it, so she shoveled it off. One of our, to me in that case, now I don't remember if I said this or not, but after I talked to her, she, she went and she did correct her friend, and she came back the next day and told me about it. And she was beaming ear to ear because God did a wonderful thing. God honored her obedience, and he used her corrective love to help this sister that was going through something, whatever it, whatever it was. It's also, this is a primary way that we have parented our children. When they were younger, we don't do this anymore because we don't have to. But when they were younger and they came to us, I would inevitably say, you all go work it out. They've heard that so many times that it is a, it's a mantra in our home, even to this day. 
they will tell you. What would dad say? He would say, we got to go work it out. And they didn't like it. But today, they don't bring their problems to us in a negative way because they have been trained to work it out. They work out their issues. There are times when they do have to come. Now, afterwards, if they can't work it out, and it's really modeling Matthew 18. If your brother is sinning, you go to him and and correct him. And if you won't listen to that, then you go and get others. And so the first call to action is not go to get others. And that's what I told that older lady. And that's what we have told our children for well over a decade now. The first call to action is not come to us, but go work it out. And in most cases, they worked it out. And rarely did we have to get ourselves involved, which was great because there were other things that we needed to involve ourselves in their lives from a corrective way. We didn't need to involve ourselves in their lives for their issues between themselves and and fortunately, mercifully, by the grace of God, for the most part, they always worked it out. The question is, is there someone you need to correct? What hinders you from bringing corrective care? I have two more questions here, and you can read those if you wish, but I do want to give a caveat because I know what's coming. Somebody will inevitably say, I'm in an abusive situation. If you are in an abusive situation where it would harm You would be physically harmed to go and work it out with that person because that person is such a fool. Then you you need to go and talk to somebody else. The most loving thing to do in that case is to start by calling other people and get their involvement. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net. RickThomas.net